Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. A shout out and thank you to one of our longtime listeners for following up on our most important recent podcasts with these two questions. You seem to be making the case that we are facing a once-in-a-lifetime set of changes for both the economy and the dollar. Please elaborate on the timing as well as the most dangerous threats you see that we're facing. Also, please give us your perspective on the economic and even the political changes artificial intelligence seems capable of delivering over the next few years. End of quote. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your most challenging questions. Before I try to answer both, as promised, today's podcast has a guest expert. He is here for a number of reasons. Importantly, as an introduction of broader examples of UCLA and UCLA Extension's courses and instructors, we are continuing to help you navigate our rapidly changing financial markets as well as new demands in our professional job markets. Our guest today is a global expert on branding and brand development. In brief, here's our agenda today. First, a quick update of expectations or fallout from our banking crisis that so far has destroyed three large U.S. banks, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic, and a global money center bank, Credit Suisse. Many more banking issues with hundreds of medium-sized banks across the U.S. will follow soon. We'll discuss and stay tuned. Secondly, we'll cover quick observations on serious trend changes in the U.S. employment, interest rates, consumer spending cutbacks, and the prospects of long-lasting inflation, despite the Federal Reserve's actions this year. Number three, we'll cover brief answers to our listeners' questions I just mentioned. I'll do my best. And fourth, an introduction to Emmanuel Probst, P-R-O-B-S-T, a leading marketing instructor and recognized author who focuses on global branding and global branding's impact on global trade, opportunities, and new elements of competitive advantage. Before we start, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Emmanuel Probst, dedicated listeners, readers, and students who are joining us as listeners in today's podcast. Ideally, to our extended marketing professional audiences, we can offer new perspectives and knowledge in two directions. One is bringing new branding knowledge to our Business Insights podcast team members, while secondly, simultaneously offering Emmanuel's marketing and branding audiences additional perspectives on economic and financial trends that impact businesses and related business careers. Let's dive in. Over the past month, we introduced one of the largest emerging issues that threatens to create an even larger and longer-lasting banking crisis, and that is the plunge in commercial real estate values. We all know that the COVID years already bankrupted many restaurants and many retailers. Unfortunately, These failures impacted many family businesses, but fortunately did not impact our banking system. Commercial real estate, the issues we're facing now, is a very different story. Many of our listeners have experienced substantial workplace changes across many industries as professional workforces moved from office to home. For many, the office 
workplace footprint has become substantially reduced, resulting from fewer days in the office, a consolidation of in-office workspaces that many refer to as hoteling, and large recent layoffs due to a stagnant economy regardless of COVID. We shared in a prior podcast the case of a downtown LA office building that had an estimated market value over $225 million three years ago, and it recently sold for less than half that price, and that was a month or so ago. We are now seeing many more examples, not only in Los Angeles, but across the United States, including a number of recent defaults by some of the country's largest commercial real estate funds. For example, PIMCO is the largest holder of U.S. government securities, and it's also a major investor in commercial real estate. In February, a PIMCO-owned office landlord defaulted on an adjustable rate mortgage on seven office buildings in California, New York, and New Jersey when monthly payments rose due to the higher interest rates. Additionally, Brookfield, another globally large investor in commercial real estate, and happens to also be the largest office building owner in downtown Los Angeles. Brookfield, also in February, chose to default on loans on two buildings rather than refinance the debt due to the present and future weak demand for office space. Blackstone, we've mentioned before, another of the world's largest stock and real estate owners in March refused consumer redemption requests from its $70 billion real estate fund. To quote Elon Musk, quote, let this sink in, unquote. The largest commercial real estate investment groups are facing liquidity and refinance issues. We should pay close attention as these are some big dominoes that are falling and will continue to negatively affect future commercial real estate sales and financing alternatives. Let's take a step back to better understand the seriousness. Many office-related mortgage debt across the United States is actually funded by community banks and savings and loans. The numbers often quoted are between 70 and 80 percent of the commercial real estate debt across the United States. Not a small number. The amount of commercial real estate needing to be refinanced over the next two or three years ranges from three to four trillion dollars. Putting this amount into some perspective, the so-called problem responsible for First Republic's demise is only in the range of 100 to 200 billion, only. For more perspective, the new money created by the Federal Reserve driving our high inflation environment over the past three years has been about twice the commercial real estate problem of three to four trillion dollars. Said another way, the amount needed to refinance the upcoming commercial real estate maturing debt is between 15 and 40 times the FDIC and taxpayer support provided to First Republic Bank. Here's a common sense framework to better describe the real estate problem. Owners of commercial real estate properties typically borrow 80% or so of the property's value. So they only have about 20% of their own equity in the deals. With office vacancies moving up to 10%, 20%, or even 30% or more depending on the market of the property's rental capacity and revenue, 
we need to think about how unrealistic it would be to try to refinance a property with 2 to 4% higher interest rates than in 2019 and given fewer tenants able or willing to pay higher rents as their own staffs are only working part-time or if spending any time in the office spaces. Not to forget the many new properties that were under construction during COVID that have hit the market in the past six months to a year. Additionally, consider that a 10 to 30% drop in occupancy, which we are seeing pretty much across the U.S., would move the building itself from a profit to a serious loss without the increase in interest rates it'll take to refinance. Who would possibly refinance a building that couldn't make its own new and higher mortgage payments? Following this thread a little bit further, we can begin to appreciate the losses facing those banks who made the loans that are now in need of being refinanced. This is the real estate example of what destroyed Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. They invested in long-term government bonds that dropped 20 to 30% as interest rates moved up. This time, it's commercial real estate that is dropping as much as 50% as interest rates continue to rise and vacancy rates continue to move up. In sum, get ready for a more serious banking crisis this year and next, affecting more than 200 banks and their related communities. I say this due to a study Morgan Stanley completed in which more than half of the $2.9 trillion in commercial mortgages that they follow will be up for refinancing in the next couple of years. And again, I'll say most present commercial real estate mortgages are held by medium-sized banks and savings and loans. And to be more specific, that number is approximately 200 to 300 institutions. Now, a quick answer to our listeners' two questions. Number one, on the U.S. dollar, reserve currencies do not come and go on timelines of only a few years. Today, the more important issue than the actual replacement of the U.S. dollar is the strengthening of a competing trading and financial block of countries. And I mentioned China, India, Russia, Brazil, other Asian countries, plus a number of African natural resource provider countries are banding together to create a competing currency or currencies to counter the dollar's global role in both trading and in the financial markets. This is the trend we need to keep on our radar. And we will, and we will give you emerging changes on a regular basis. For now, treat the subject as an early warning signal not a panic signal, as the subject promises to impact both U.S. interest rates, the value of the dollar, and U.S. future inflation over the next year or two and longer. On question number two, on the impact of artificial intelligence or AI, there are important areas to consider given that the future impact is, quote, to be determined, or TBD. One key area is the risk of AI promoting fraud and disinformation depending on the AI algorithm developers themselves. Who can even determine the future degree of fraud in line? Even today, the sources who publicize so-called fact-checking are themselves suspected of inadequate or biased fact-checking. Today, social media is obviously the source of many intentionally created issues and even personal threats to mental health. We read about it every day. We've already opened Pandora's box, and now we'll see what emerges from it in AI, as we did in social media. The good, the bad, 
and the ugly. AI may develop globally faster and more impactfully than even the internet itself, and that development will both threaten and create jobs. On the highest level, cybersecurity appears to be a growth industry for the next really, really long term. But equally seriously, professional services, including graphic design, writing, consulting, storytelling, digital marketing, 3D printing, supply chain management, and even how and where items are physically produced and distributed will feel AI's impact. There are few real answers today, I'm sorry to say, but I'll commit to inviting one of UCLA's AI experts to join in a future podcast to help provide better perspectives. And this is a great time to bridge to our branding leader, Emmanuel Probst. Emmanuel supports numerous Fortune 500 companies by providing them with a full understanding of their customer's journey. This journey encompasses brand awareness to purchase and recommendations leading to greater insights on the consumer within it. His clients span across a wide range of industries, including consumer, packaged goods, retail, financial services, advertising agencies, and media outlets. Emmanuel also teaches consumer market research with us at UCLA Extension and discusses consumer psychology frequently in numerous publications. Emmanuel, over to you. Roger, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and it's great to connect and reconnect with our UCL extension community. As some of you may know, I teach consumer market research at UCLA extension. My name is Emmanuel Probst and I am also the global lead for brand thought leadership at Ipsos. And Ipsos is the largest publicly owned market research agency in the world. I also do some writings. My latest book is called Assemblage, the art and science of brand transformation. And it shows how to create brands that transform people and the world they live in, to create better brands that are more sustainable, that are more meaningful to people, that are more successful from a business standpoint and that make a positive impact. This is the topic of our conversation today. It's looking at the economy and society and what impact brands can make on the economy and the world around us. Well, we live in challenging times. And what I mean by this is it sounds like a recession is looming. Inflation is extremely high. Salaries certainly do not grow as fast as prices at the grocery stores. And many of us, most of us, in fact, are feeling the pinch, if you will, whereby it's becoming more and more expensive to pay for groceries and other things, and we don't proportionally make any more money. There are also a number of debates in the world we live in around, well, the sustainability of the planet, that's one's what world do we want to live in, in terms of natural resources and how we go about using those natural resources. And also some societal debates around sexual orientations and of course political orientations and the values we want to convey to our children and our friends and family, in fact. And here brands have an opportunity to make an impact. That said, it's very, very risky to do so. That means not all brands can take or must take a stance on societal issues. Some brands can do so and do so very successfully. Some brands don't need to take a stance. And sometimes, well, 
some brands do not succeed, if you will. They fail at taking a stance. And I think here we can take a few examples. And in terms of brands that are successful, I can think of Nike and Patagonia, for example, whereby they intend, in the case of Nike, to support the athlete in all of us. And Nike does so through a range of advertisements and initiatives that's empowering for people and that's respectful and supportive of people's differences. And when I say differences, it's different opinions and it might be different ethnic backgrounds and it might be different sexual orientations and it might be various cultural backgrounds. Again, what's core to the brand is to support, to help the everyday athlete, the athlete in, in all of us, and in that regard, Nike is successful. Many of us are also familiar with Patagonia, and Patagonia is a brand that has sustainability and responsible commerce at its core. And while anecdotal, it's interesting to see that their founder decided to give away the company to organizations that look after the future of the planet. And that's really a great demonstration of living and breathing this purpose of sustainability. Now, to be clear, that remains anecdotal and we don't expect most brands to do this in the future. That said, if anything, brands can become more responsible and communicate on their approach to sustainability and responsible commerce. And a recent, most recent initiative I can think of comes from United Airlines. You need no expertise in physics and in chemistry to know that flying an aircraft is very damaging to the environment because of the carbon emissions. And United is embarking on an initiative to create some new fuels that will be made by recycling trash, basically. And in fact, they came up with a really funny, memorable campaign with Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street and the campaigns created uh, by an agency in Los Angeles called 72 and Sunny. And uh, Oscar the Grouch is the chief trash officer and is basically inquiring about United's project, United's endeavor to recycle trash into fuel. Now, granted, it will take a few years to see where that goes, if it is successful or not. But I think, if anything, for now, we can acknowledge the contribution and the great effort a brand like United is making towards sustainability and environment. So. Brands impact on society and the economy. Here we have three examples of brands that demonstrate their engagement in making a positive impact on society, making a positive impact on sustainability. Other examples come to mind in terms of commerce practices. And here's what I mean. Historically, brands have been focused on selling more products to more people and moving as much volume as we can. A great example of this is fast fashion, whereby the likes of H&M and Zara and similar brands want you to buy clothes and buy new clothes every six months and to dispose of what you were wearing in the past. Well, the mindset is shifting, whereby 
making clothes is a really polluting process and especially if people dispose of them and uh, an example is making jeans it might take 400 liters of water to make one pair of jeans and Levi's realized this and is doing at least two things to help address this issue first off it started a range of products called waterless jeans whereby Levi's worked on reducing how much water was needed to make those jeans but also Levi's gives its clients the opportunity to bring back to the store some gently worn garments gently worn jeans and resell them or treat them in if you will in return for a store credit and other brands such as Lululemon does the same thing whereby you can bring back some gently worn yoga pants that Lululemon is going to resell and you will benefit from a store credit and the point here is everyone wins you win as a consumer because you do the right thing for the environment and you receive a store credit in return and then whoever is going to buy the jeans or the yoga pants next also wins whereby you are giving this item a second life and you are creating a new story about this item you're also doing the right thing for the environment and you also sometimes access a brand or a category that you may not have been able to afford otherwise yoga pants can be 120 150 dollars if they are brand new but those gently worn yoga pants may be more towards 60 or 70 dollars and therefore the last winner if you will in this venn diagram is definitely the brand whereby lululemon and levi's drive traffic to their stores from with people whom would have not engaged with the brand otherwise so i think that those two brands are great examples of companies that do business in a socially responsible way and it also illustrates that selling less does not necessarily come at the expense of profit and revenue by doing so you the brand are not cannibalizing yourself so in my latest book assemblage the art and science of brand transformation i dedicate the third portion of the book on how brands can transform the world how brands can contribute to the to society and the economy and environment and i zoom in on the fact that citizens and brands are activists and what i mean by this is brands and advertisers are no longer the dominating force whereby everyone now has the power to create content to create brands and to create <clears throat> a narrative a story around those brands and we advocate these brands we talk back at brands and sometimes we even cancel brands as consumers when we're not happy with the message they deliver so i feel it's very important for you members of the ucla ucla extension community to realize that the lines between marketing and advertising and activism if you will are blurring and that those relationships between marketers and their audience are becoming more complex and definitely much harder to 
harness. In particular, for long-time marketers who are able to dictate the narrative around their brand. And moving forward, they will have to maybe control the foundation of the brand, the big idea, but definitely will and are already having to crowdsource the brand narrative with the audience. And a simple way to put it is the brand is not what you say it is, you, the marketer, but it is what they say it is, meaning they, the, the audience. So that's one more reason why it is so important for brands to do the right thing in terms of making a positive impact on us and the world around us and contribute in this difficult time of recession to the well-being of people, society, uh, economic recovery, with also some good intentions for the producers and members of the supply chain. I hope this short summary was helpful to you today. You are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and check out my latest book. Again, my name is Emmanuel Probst and the book is called Assemblage, the art and science of brand transformation. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and I will be more than happy to address any questions you may have. And with that said, I thank you all for listening and look forward to seeing you in class in a few weeks for those of you who will join my class in the summer. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us, Emmanuel. And a special thanks again for the many new listeners joining us today from Emmanuel's marketing and branding teams. I hope all our new listeners accept our invitation today to join our bi-weekly Business Insights podcasts sponsored by UCLA Extension. To join in, just Google UCLA Extension Business Insights, go to our homepage, and sign up for free. We'll have new and important inputs to share in our next podcast, given the May Federal Reserve meeting, new inflation data, and suggestions for asset classes that would be protective and defensive for a pretty ugly forthcoming investment environment. In the meantime, be safe, be careful, and continue to avoid new long-term investments, particularly those that have debt attached to them. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.